Welcome this evening to the worship gathering of a body of believers called Mosaic. You're welcome here. We're going to glorify our God as high king creator, but intimate, close with us tonight. Sing with us.
Matthew 6, 9 says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Sing this song out with me to our heavenly
Could you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, what an amazing thing to be able to call you that. To bow before you, the creator of all things, and to be able to look up in your eyes and call you our Father. Thank you for the grace that makes that possible. Thank you for letting us gather in the name of your dear son, Jesus, tonight. Thank you for the promise that the Spirit is with us and among us. And so we just pray, Lord, that we may encounter your empowering presence as we gather in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, Worshiping together with us, for those who are joining us online, we want to say thank you for joining us as well. It is good to be together and worship the Lord together um, and just, uh, just be able to celebrate who Jesus is. Christ is risen. Hey, I'm just checking to see if it worked on a day other than Easter. It does, doesn't it? Indeed, Christ is risen. And we, and we do that. Uh, my son... Uh, is part of another church, and he just he likes to remind me that uh, what they do on Easter they do every Sunday, which is celebrate the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are glad to be able to come and do that tonight, and uh, and worship together with you. Hey, we're jumping into. Oh, let me let me just say a real quick. Can I say thank you guys for continuing to wear the masks? Um, this is just one more way we continue to love one another. And I know for many that it's just weary, and I just want to say thank you for blessing your neighbors and for honoring them. I just want to say thank you for that. Hey, we are jumping into a new series tonight. I want to talk to you just real briefly about that. As we, we're doing over the course of the year, we're doing kind of four little segments. I think it's four segments of, of Thy Kingdom Come. And this time through, we're going to be focusing on the Lord's Prayer. And kind of the idea that we've got is if, if the kingdom of God is this thing that we live and dwell in, it is a present reality and also a future promise that we look forward to, then prayer is conversation with the king. It's how we get to talk to the king. And so we're just going to be each week walking through different pieces of the Lord's Prayer and learning more how, how to do how to do this thing of talking with the king and, and having that conversation where we can know the king and by that know the kingdom. And so looking forward tonight, we're going to be looking at that first phrase, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we're going to dig in deep. What does it mean as we talk to our king to be able to call him our heavenly father? So just thank you for being here for that. Looking forward to the next few weeks, uh, what the Lord has for us in that. Hey, we have an, a great opportunity for celebrating. So if you'll just look over there and uh, pay attention, it's going to be great. We'll be here any moment. Here we go, the man of the hour. Good evening, fellowship. Tonight have the wonderful honor to baptize my son, Titus. Titus has gone through a wonderful journey to be here. We've had many ups and downs and many miraculous, wonderful miracles just for him to be here. And also, eight years ago, almost to the day, I was standing in front of you guys baptizing my father. 
And today, I get the honor to baptize my son. Titus, is it your testimony here today that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. That it is my honor, duty, and privilege to be able to baptize you tonight. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, raised to walk in newness of life. That is awesome, is it not? Hey, Ryan, what a joy. Your dad and now your son. Thanks for the example, fellas. Yes, indeed. The psalmist says, one generation will proclaim your works to the other. Thank you guys for living that out. If you were to walk around the streets of Jerusalem and perhaps Capernaum, anywhere in first century Palestine, you'd notice a lot of things going on by way of prayer. Jesus points these out in his Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and tonight our text is right smack dab in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus has taken a multitude of folks off to a hillside, a mountain, somewhere around the Sea of Galilee, probably close to Capernaum, to teach them some things about who he is, who his father is, and what the kingdom's all about. And as you cruise through the Sermon on the Mount, there's all kind of horizontal issues from what do you do with worry? What do you do with money? What do you do with generosity? What do you do with somebody that's hurt you? And there's these, these horizontal dimensions, but there's also a vertical dimension. What, what do you do with God? What's he like? How, how do we relate and our text tonight lands us firmly in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to pick it up at verse 9, and as Doug said, what is known as the Lord's Prayer. And the first thing that you will notice about the Lord's Prayer is the word our. It's communal. Jesus seeing what's going on by way of prayer, and there were a couple of things he points out earlier in this sermon. Uh, you have Pharisees, uh, the religious guys, and they're out doing prayer at certain times of the day in public, and their motivation in prayer is to pr impress other people who may hear their prayers. And then he points to another praying group, and he calls them pagans or heathens, and they're in just a continual repetition. So the models of prayer on the street corners of Jerusalem and other cities in the area is made up with people who are praying either to try and impress you with their eloquence and their prayers, or they're just wearing you out with the repetition of their prayers. And it's into that context that Jesus draws his listeners back to what prayer is all about. And when you pray, this is how you should pray. Our Father, not my Father, not your Father, but our Father. It, it is communal. This is Holy Week, and I'd like to draw your attention over to, let's see, John chapter 20, as Mary has realized that Jesus is risen from the dead, she, she mistook him for a gardener. 
And so these angels are there, and that, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And she looks at a gardener, and he says her name, and she turns, and she realizes the gardener is Jesus. And guys, I can almost see him leaning on a hoe <laughs> as a gardener and saying these words. As she, in her exuberance, reached out to hug him and to touch him, and he said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. That's the, that's the vertical dimension of prayer here, is to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, and check it out, your Father, to my God and your God. Prayer is communal. It's, it's, it's connectivity to the body of Christ, to God as our Father, I like what Eugene Peterson writes over in Romans chapter 8 concerning the resurrection. He says, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It is adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And so Jesus says, this is how you should start your prayer. With this resurrection life, having his spirit touched our spirit, and now we, as children of God, pray our father. What's he like as a father? You know, throughout the years as I've thought about that, and perhaps you have too, I, I don't know, I'd say Ryan is a pretty good dad, just, just based on the example of his son's testimony with Titus here. But he's also a pretty good son, probably got a pretty good dad. Some of us have pretty good dads. And some of us have grown up in families and they were not so good. But what's God the Father like so that we don't get tripped up on a bad earthly example? Let's take a look at our Father. This is a, uh, oh, I did it. Kim, you knew I was going to do that, didn't you? Huh? Hold on. There we go. Yeah, Rembrandt, Kelsey, take it. That's where we're going. I'm trying to click my way through this thing, and they told me not to. And now you know why. <laughs> this is a painting by Rembrandt. It's called The Return of the Prodigal. And it's one of his more famous paintings. It was done somewhere around 1667 in the last two years of his life. And as an old man, he began to really reflect upon God as father. And although, as from the parable, also from the um, painting here, it's titled the return of the prodigal, it's really not a story about the prodigal. It's a story about the father because you, you notice whose face we see in that. And not only notice whose face you see in that, but art critics throughout the years have always been drawn to the hands that Rembrandt painted. And as you reflect upon what captured Rembrandt's thoughts concerning God the father, just listen to the story once again. It's familiar, the, the, the story of the father who had two sons. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. 
And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had had, and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to be filled. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on and bring a ring, and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. What can we learn from this story of the parable of the father who had two sons about the father? We can learn that the father runs. He runs to those whom he loves and he forgives. And not only does he forgive, he gives generously and he celebrates his own. That's the father we pray to. The God who comes to us, it's not in prayer that we make the initiative. Ours is the response to his coming to us. And he forgives us and gives up generously of his kingdom to those of us who have the right to be called sons and daughters of the Most High. And there's a whole lot of celebration going on. That's our God and that's our Father. The next line of the prayer, who art in heaven, Where's heaven? What is heaven? The scriptures talk a lot about uh, what heaven is, but we don't know much of where it is. But there's a few things that are implied from scriptures that we can know. Heaven is under construction. In fact, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I will come back. We know that in heaven, in his father's kingdom, in his father's house, there are many mansions. It is, it is the end game. It is, it is the life where God rules. It is the life where everything is the way the Father wants it to be. Heaven is the place where all is well. John in the book of Revelation says, hey, there's no, there's no crying there. There's no more sadness. There's no more loss. There's no more sin or the effects thereof. All is well in heaven. I like what Paul says about it. He's, he's, he ponders about the idea of our Father who art in heaven. 
and what is heaven and where is heaven? And he just goes on to lay it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived for those. That's what's going on in heaven. It's beyond what we can see. It's beyond what our minds can, can comprehend or our ears can hear. Who art in heaven. You know, there's one thing about good dads I've noticed, and good moms too. They, they, they invite their kids to look up. I had a dad that did such as that. He always it would take me and my siblings out under the stars of the East Alabama sky and just challenge us to look up and fathom the bigness of who God the Father is. One such occasion happened on Christmas Eve of December uh, in uh, 1968 when Apollo 8 was circling the moon. And so that Christmas, my dad bought us a big-time telescope. And the challenge at hand was to go out under the skies that night, uh, not the night skies and the, and the moon and all that, and see if we could see Apollo 8 as it orbited the moon. Well, we couldn't, but the coolest thing was we could see the craters on the moon. And we could see the details of the Saturn and its rings and the big massive dot on Jupiter. And suddenly, we were looking up into the heavens, above and beyond, into the bigness, into the transcendence of God. That night, the coolest thing happened. The, the uh, crew of Apollo 8 consisted of Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, and Bill Anders. And they were told by the officials at NASA that night as they were going to have the biggest broadcast on television up to that time, just do something appropriate in the broadcast. And what those three guys did while we're all looking up into the heavens and we're looking into the bigness and the transcendence of God, those three men chose to go ahead and point us to God and they read from the Genesis account. And some of us old school, you remember that. And it was amazing. And I remember as a kid standing there with my father thinking, how big God is. Maybe tonight as the sky is clear or maybe tomorrow night, mom, dad, take them out. Point them up. And let them along with you get lost in the bigness of who our Father is. Get lost in the transcendence of the starry sky at night. And while you're looking up, pause and be still. Breathe slowly and recenter your scattered senses upon the bigness and the presence of God our Father. Cool thing. I was shopping for my grandchildren at Hobby Lobby this past December and came across a whole thing on astronomy. It was so neat. They had uh, little night lights, full globe night lights that are the moon, so you can have a full moon on your nightstand while you sleep. I'm telling you, it, it, it's cool. It really is. And you can, you can change lights on it, but there's Luna in all its glory in a model reflecting up the light in the, the bedroom of my grandchildren. Also, you could buy uh, the solar system 
and you could hang the planets from the ceiling. And you could also get stars that absorb the light during the day, and then they glow at night. And so I tried to set it up with my kids, my grandkids, even as they go to bed. Luna on the right, stars and the planets above. Look up and get lost, Beckham, Reeves, Nora, Elsie, and the bigness of God our Father. Hallowed be thy name is the next part of the prayer. And uh, our friends at Desiring God have a little article on what it means to hallow God's name, reflecting some of the theology of John Piper. And I, as I read the article, I thought it was really cool, and I thought we could just kind of walk through that real quick. What does it mean to hallow our Father's name? It means to trust in his name. It means to honor his name. It means to receive his name, and it means to celebrate his name. Do you remember the first time that you did any of those with his name and hallowed his name? Perhaps you trusted on his name, or you honored his name, knowing how big and how good he is as a father, the God who runs and forgives and gives generously and celebrates you, and receive his name or even celebrate his name. I remember the first time I did that, any of those four, but they all kind of converged at one moment for me on this idea of hallowing the name of God the Father. It happened in March of 1973, and I was attending a Fellowship of Christian Athletes retreat in Wetumpka, Alabama, and a defensive linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys by the name of Ken Hutcherson was our speaker for the weekend retreat. And as Ken would get up and teach, and in fact, he taught from Luke chapter 15, the parable that we just read from. And as he taught, suddenly I, I, there was something that happened by way of the greatness of who God is and the power of his name to save those who believe in him. And as Hutch talked, I, I realized I, I believed in the bigness of God. I'd wa- I tried to find Apollo 8 circling the moon. I, I'd studied the, the rings around Saturn and the, the, the other planets and, and Mars and all of that. I believed in the bigness of God. But they came to a point of receiving who he is as father. I'd like to introduce you to Ken by way of a video where he kind of tells you his story. And I'd like to share a little bit of my story. And then let's talk about your story. Check Ken's story out. When I was about five years old, I got a rude awakening about who I was and what my color was all about. My uncle took me out in the backyard one day and he says, Ken, I want to tell you how rough your life is going to be growing up and living in Alabama. And he got down in a football stance and he took off as fast as he could go. Hit me, bam, I flipped over. 
rocks and dust flying, and I cannot believe he had hurt me so badly. I said, what are you doing? He said, shut up. Stand back up there. Bam, bam, five, six times, bam. And I will never forget what he said. He took me, he stood me up, and he says, let me tell you something. Whites can never be trusted. You always have to keep your guard up. You must be better or they will make you worse. My life changed that day. I believe my uncle. And I graduated with honors in living that life. I was so mad and so prejudiced. All the times of walking to the back of that bus. It was about me. I saw what whites did to walk by that white school. It was illegal for someone that looked like me. He is not fit to play with our kids. And when I failed, calling me an animal. They came in like wolves. I'm gonna kill you. I am gonna pay some folks back. And I'm gonna beat you one way or the other. I'm gonna hurt as many as I could. Set them a fire, beat up the homecoming queen. All that frustration. <laughs> That's right, I was a man that. I hated everybody. Anybody got in my way? I was driven by hatred. Driven. My life is miserable. White people have made it miserable. That was just emptiness. Not knowing God had a plan. But it's stubborn, prejudice, hate, unbelieving. that type of prejudice. Well, I'm here to tell you, I ran into Jesus Christ. What God said is, let me tell you something, boy. And you know, God can call you boy. So that's, that's fine with me. He says, I died for whites too. And if God died for everyone, who am I to have a prejudiced thought towards any of God's creatures? Before I became a Christian, it was all about me. It's what I want. It's about my revenge. It's about my prejudice. I dropped that hatred for whites into the love of Christ. And that's why to this very day, I will fight for white, black, red, yellow, brown. Because the love of Christ changed me. accepted me and I do the same for all people now that old prejudiced guy married one of the whitest white women in the world I got a cross-culture family my wife is German descent I'm black we got four German chocolate kids two boys two girls gorgeous they took out the mom praise God senior pastor of a large church 65% of the church is white. 35% is all ethnic groups. Black, white, brown, red, yellow. Woo! That is the power-changing Holy Spirit of God. And He can do 
the same for you. My name is Ken Hutcherson, and I am second. I'm so glad that God the Father made himself known to Ken Hutchison and helped him push through his racial prejudice. Because one night, Saturday night in March of 1973, after a talk he gave, I, uh, I went up to him and I said, I, I don't know how you know him the way you know him. But I... I want to know him like you do. And Jesus Christ showed me the way to the Father through a black man. I used to joke with Ken. I said, you know, the first sight of Jesus I really saw where I, I believed and received was you, bro. So a black man led me to Christ who was once prejudiced against white boys in Alabama. I mean, it was a beautiful moment. But here's the deal of how good God the Father, who art in heaven, and how I was able to hallow his name that night because Ken said, Chip, how big do you believe God is? I believe he's big, Ken. I, I believe he created the universe. I've, I've seen the rings around Saturn. I've seen the craters on the moon. My dad had me looking at the stars in December of 1968. I believe he's big. And Hutch said, do you realize that of all that he's created in his universe and the bigness of who he is, there's one place he wants to sit and dwell tonight, and that is in your heart. To believe God is so big and yet small enough to fit in your heart with how I came to the Father. On that phrase, realizing he would use a black man in Apollo 8 in 1968 and my dad causing me to look up into the bigness and the greatness of who he is. Ken made it really clear. He, he quoted these two scriptures to me. He said, you have to realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you don't get to God our Father except through him, yet if you not only believe, but will receive him, and you believe, you hallow his name, he'll give you the right to become a child of God. And I did. And that's why the opening phrase of this prayer really means something tonight to me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It could be that God has been making himself known to you all your life by looking up or looking in or looking around. And you've had the capacity to believe. But belief is not enough. You must hallow 
his name. You must honor his name. You must receive his name in order to celebrate his name. And for me, the line was, do you believe God's big enough to rule the universe yet small enough to fit in your heart? I don't, I don't know what your line is. But I know he may be making himself known to you tonight. And you've believed for a long time. But will you dare receive tonight? Would you just be willing here just for a moment to pause and be still and to breathe slowly and just center your scattered senses upon his presence in this place right now as he makes himself known to you. He's big enough. Will you allow him to be small enough and ask him in? If so, where you are, would you allow the, my vocabulary to be the expression of your heart? Our Father, who art in heaven, thank you for meeting me in this moment, in this place, right now. I hallow your name. I recognize what you have done on my behalf through your Son, Jesus Christ. And my only way to you is through him. So not only now do I believe, I receive him as Lord and Savior. Knowing that my next step is as a child of God. It's in your name, your hallowed name, that I pray. Amen.
should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so we, so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. We sing together. Just 
God, we bow under your perfect fathering of us. If you are our father, then we are your children. And we're grateful for the love that you've placed over us. Thank you that you can be both infinitely large and so intimate with us at the same time. Amen. Mosaic, let's together uh, read aloud the Lord's Prayer tonight as we close. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Mosaic, have a great week.